I don't know about you, but something just wells up in my soul and says that that is right and that is good. And uh, we just want to thank you as pastors of this church. Um, we are so proud and privileged to be a part of a church that seeks to love our neighbors like that. And so that video is amazing. Uh, there's like helicopter shots in it. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't even do justice uh, to the many unseen hours that were poured into that event and beyond, the many unheard prayers that were prayed of, oh God, will you please, will you please move? And uh, the many gifts that were given, the backpacks that were filled by, by you, the money that was given to help cover all the costs of that event. And so we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you are extending God's love in this neighborhood in real and tangible ways, and we are only just getting started. Mm, so thank you so much. Mm. Now let's talk about sex, let's do shall it. we? <laughs> All right, so uh, we have been talking for the last couple of weeks about how to have the best ever, best relationships ever, best marriage ever, and this week we're talking about how to have the best sex ever. We've opened God's word and said, okay, God, we're going to open this book, and we're going to open our lives, and we want you to speak in, and so we're going to continue to do that tonight. And I know it may seem for you a little bit weird to, maybe it took all that you've got to even show up at church tonight, and maybe a friend dragged you out here, and you showed up here, and you heard that we're talking about sex, and you haven't left yet, which is amazing. And I want to let, let you know, I know that can seem a little weird at first, but I want to show you why it is that we're talking about this so op openly and honestly from God's Word. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, by show of hands, if your parents gave you a clear and healthy and helpful sex talk growing up. Clear, healthy, and helpful sex talk growing up. Raise your hand high right now if that was you. Okay, everyone look around. Yeah, that's why we're talking about it tonight. And for those of you who did raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to turn to the people around you and just share with them right now what your parents told you just so that we can all... No, but we, that's why we're talking about this, because God actually has a lot to say about this, and it may be different than you thought. And if you're here tonight, and you kind of got dragged along by a friend, and maybe you're not into the whole God thing, you're not sure about the whole church thing, I think this is a fantastic uh, message for you to listen to, because these principles don't actually directly have to apply to your life. But the amazing thing is, you can apply these principles in your life and automatically see a change in your life. And for those of us who are Christians, this is what God holds us to and has for us and desires for us. And so any person that is at all interested in putting God at the center of their life and their relationships and their sexuality, this is for you tonight. And we can't possibly cover all of the depth and the intensity and the uniqueness to each story that's represented just in this room alone. It's impossible for us to cover it all. And so I just want to say up front, we're just not going to be able to. But our hope is, is to get a spark a moment that would push to movement in your life. And that the best way to kind of work this stuff out with God, we genuinely believe, is in the context of a loving biblical community where you can know and be known and share your story and have people help you invite God into the center. That's why we say all the time here that circles are better than rows. We're going to do everything we can do for our time tonight, but there's only so much we can do. Does that make sense? But our hope for the time that we have together is to really give a better picture, a bigger vision for your sexuality and where God is at in the middle of it all. Mm. And for those of us who walk into this room, which would be probably just about all of us, with any level of regret or shame or pain from choices that we were made or that were made on us when it comes to our sexuality, our hope in this time is that you would not only get a bigger and better vision for your sexuality, but that you would actually find in God the healing that your soul so desperately needs, the hope that you can put fully in God and help practical next steps for you to take. Our hope is that you would get how much God has already done for you when it comes to who you are, specifically to your sexuality. And that when we get sort of what God has done for us, when we get that God has already always given his very best, then what we want to do is respond with nothing less. Mm. 
And my hunch is that's why you're here. You wouldn't be here if you didn't desire that mm. at some level. Mm. That when you get that God always already gives his very best, then you want to respond with nothing less. And so we're going to talk honestly and practically about how we can do that together this week. Mm. And, and so true that when we get that and when we understand it, it changes how we want to respond but I think oftentimes we're left in the middle of the tension, in the middle of, of the challenge. In fact, we, we spoke to a bunch of different people in our community over the, the last couple of weeks and, and just asked them, you know, what are some of the myths? What are some of the, the lies? What are some of the tensions and the challenges when it comes to our sexuality? You see, the problem is, is that we live in a world and we live in a culture that does not think that you should hold out for God's best. Hmm. Our world is not affirming and encouraging that. In fact, it lives in direct opposition to that. And so we asked it, you know, a bunch of people in this community, what, what are the tensions? What are, what are the lies that people start to believe? One of the biggest lies that came back, and, and I agree with this, is that so many people believe that the myth that sex is just a physical thing. Hmm. That sex is just a physical thing. Our culture tells us that the act of sex is just a physical act, that there's nothing spiritual, there's nothing emotional about it. So as long as, you know, no one gets pregnant when they shouldn't be getting pregnant, and as long as, you know, no one gets a disease or, or no one is, is having sex against their own will, well, then have the time of your life with it. Mm. That's, that's what our culture says to us. Now, there's probably a, a few social no-nos when it comes to, you know, don't sleep with the wrong person, don't sleep with someone else's partner. But what's amazing is our culture is even quick to forgive that. Our culture is even quick to forgive that. We have shows on television mm -hmm. called Mistresses. Mm. Our culture is in direct opposition, is in direct opposition to what God's very best is. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. When sex is just a physical thing, then people become commodities. Hmm. When sex is just a physical thing, then people are just commodities. Hmm. You objectify other people when you look at them. Hmm. They're just an object hmm. for you to look at. Or perhaps when you look at yourself, you look at yourself as an object. Hmm. And as what I'm presenting to the world, is it sexy enough. And with that comes so much insecurity, so much hurt, so much inner turmoil. Mm. And if you treat sex as just a physical thing, just a physical thing, what ends up happening is you first hurt yourself, you hurt your partner, you eventually hurt your future mate. Because sex is not just a physical thing. Mm. A while back, Jarrett and I had uh, the awesome opportunity to go to Italy. It had always been a dream of ours to go to Italy, and we saved up like every point imaginable to man, like every like airline point, hotel point, whatever point there was, we cashed it in to go to Italy, and we were so, so excited. And one of the places that we were so excited to go visit was the Sistine Chapel. We had always wanted to go and see Michelangelo's beautiful fresco painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And if you've ever been there, you know that when you're walking into the Sistine Chapel, there are all these guards positioned along <laughs> the way, and they're literally there to tell you that you're about to enter into a sacred room, that this sacred room that you're walking into, they don't allow anyone to speak. And so literally these guards are standing there and they're, they're sort of like the shush guards, right? And they're literally, they're like, shh, shh, true. shh. And so you're like, I get it. And so all these hundreds of people go into this amazing room and they look up at this incredible painting, literally, of the entire story of the Bible. And if, any, if anyone says a word, literally, the guard is like, shh, you know, and so there's complete silence in the room. Well, the other thing that they tell you is that not only can you not speak in this room, but they don't want anyone to take any pictures of, of this of this space because it's, you know, it's such this sacred, incredible, beautiful, amazing space. And so here's the picture that Jarrett took of the Sistine Chapel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. <laughs> like, uh, come on, I'm never, I don't even know if I'll ever be back, so I have to take a picture. It was with my iPhone, it was fine. And so here you are in this room, 
with all this awe and all this reverence and all this respect for a room, hmm. for brick, hmm. for mortar, for paint. There's literally silence, literally silence. You know what's amazing? It's a physical thing, a hmm. physical thing. And God says your body is so much more than that. You are so much more than just a physical thing. Our bodies are so much more than the Sistine Chapel. The Bible says that our bodies literally house the Holy Spirit, that every part of you and I was woven intricately together by the hands of God. There is no way, there is no way that sex is just a physical thing because you and I are Mm -hmm. so much more than just physical things. And when we treat it so cavalier, we cheapen sex into just being a physical exchange of commodities. And it is so much more than that. Sex is the deepest exchange of intimacy to know and to be fully known. You see, if it were just physical, if sex were just physical, then I wonder why is there so much shame around Mm. it? If it were just physical, then why is so much guilt produced? Hmm. If it were just physical, then then why do so many people struggle and and throw blame around when it comes to sex? It's so much more than physical. Hmm. Sex is so much more than physical. One of the other myths that we have to kind of understand if we're going to have an honest dialogue from the teachings of the Bible, one of the myths of our culture that came back as we were asking people was basically one that I heard a lot growing up, is that God just wants me to avoid sex. Like, it's just easier that way. God just wants me to avoid sex. I don't know if you grew up around church. I did. And so if you did, you've heard that message before. I I heard this message so many times from well-intentioned, well-meaning adults, but basically the whole bottom line of any sex talk from a youth group or church that I heard growing up was, just don't do it. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't do it. Just don't, because it makes, it just grosses God out and it makes him mad. So stop. This is not a good strategy because everything inside me was saying go at the same time. And so there's a tension there. It can't, that can't be that God just wants me to avoid sex or just avoid it till I get married. How is that possible if it's true that I'm more than just a physical thing and that my sexuality is deeply wired into who I am by the hand of God? Then why would God just want me to avoid it? And so what I kind of learned early on is that, no, 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 my, there is a very real sex drive in me. If there is a part, now listen to me, it is a part, not the whole. It is a part, not all, of who I am, but it's a part of me put there by God. Mm. I know this. I know that there is a sex drive within me because it went into full tilt Memorial Day weekend, 1986 at Lake Berryessa in California when I had my first kiss. I was like, what? And this was like, there's something going on. And I was, I mean, this was amazing. I'm like, okay, this is clearly not something just to avoid because I really like this. And so... I'm obviously not going to share her name. She'll remain nameless, but we're friends on Facebook. The point is, <laughs> the point is, there is a part of me that is sexual, and it's not a mistake. It's designed by the hand of God. And my sex drive is not some sort of side effect of sin. It's actually given to me by God. My sex drive is given to me to drive me to her. And when it's aimed and focused and directed in the right way, it is a gift, a reminder from God to me of her, that there's possibility for connection, there's possibility for intimacy, there's possibility for growth. Having a, a, a sex drive is a good thing. Letting sex drive you, though, is not. And I think that's where things get a little messy. Having a sex drive is part of, it's part of who you are. And so what we want to talk about is what do we do with that? But when you let sex drive every decision that you make, every relationship that you're in, every pattern and hidden pattern in your life, then it becomes hurtful, harmful, and even destructive. Mm. And so what we want to do is figure out how do we approach our sexuality with the kind of holy reverence and awe that God gave it to us Mm. with.
Mm. I think another one of the myths that, that people struggle with is the myth that there's no way to fix my past. Mm. There's no way to fix my past. What's done is done. What happened in the past, that's just there, and I'm now bound to have to carry that around with me for the rest of my life. Any relationship that I walk into, I just sort of drag this suitcase of shame and regret along with me and just sort of plop it down right there in the middle of this relationship, and it just comes with me. Mm-hmm. That maybe your past has, has caused you to become detached or even numb or perhaps even robotic in your marriage. And there's a part of you, if you're being very honest, internally you wonder, maybe it has to do with my past. Maybe it's because of this thing that I did and and I have so much shame over it. And maybe because I did that, because I screwed up in the past, because I made that mistake, because that thing happened that I wish hadn't happened, maybe that is now my plight here in my present and on into my future. And it is a true thing It is a true thing that our past is often a predictor of our future. Your past does set a tone on your future. Our past is something that each of us has to take responsibility for, but perhaps, perhaps the single most important thing that you need to hear tonight is that your past, your past does not have to determine your future. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. You see, with God, this is the most amazing thing. With God, there is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And when you think you got to the end of grace and he put the period at the sentence, there was never a period at the sentence. Grace just goes on and on and on and on. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. You are so unbelievably valuable to God. And if you carry with you regret or shame, if your heart is riddled with guilt, you need to hear clearly from the heart of God tonight It does not matter. It does not matter how far you have gone. It does not matter how many times. It does not matter with how many people. Redemption is for everyone. Redemption is for everyone. There is no one excluded from redemption. Everyone is welcomed and invited into redemption. And by working through your past, not making your past have power, but by working through your past, you can keep it from determining your future and a better story, a redeeming story, a pure story, a right story, a God-honoring story can be written in your life. And so we want to get a picture of what that looks like as we were studying and preparing for our time this weekend, we were asking God, God, how can we get a better snapshot of what that looks like? Truth that speaks into and against those myths and those lies and the many more that we simply just don't have time to name in our time together tonight. God, what, what would you have us learn from you that would actually transform mm. and change our lives, specifically starting with our sexuality? And so there's a passage of scripture I'd love for you to open up to uh, in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter Six. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue Bible right in front of you. Would you grab that? And I'm going to ask everyone to grab a pen. Uh, there should be one of those in the seat backs as well. We're going to circle a couple words. doesn't matter if it's not your Bible. You can still write in it. You're just giving a head start to someone else who's going to steal that Bible at a later date. So go ahead, grab a pen. I want you to circle a couple words. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6. It's page 796 in the blue Bible. Page 796. Let me give you a quick context to this letter that was written to the church in Corinth. Uh, This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, wrote about half the New Testament. You may be familiar with him. And this was to a church in the middle of a city that at that time in the world was the, arguably, one of the most godless and over-sexualized cities and cultures in the known world. And now that we know from the perspective of history it is one of, it stands as one of the most godless and oversexed cultures throughout all of human history. And in the middle of Corinth is this little church 
trying to figure out how to offer God their very best in light of him already always offering his best to them. And so these are the words that Paul offered to them specifically regarding their sexuality. And I believe this is transformational truth for every one of us tonight. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 6. We'll start with verse 18. It says this, flee from sexual immorality. Just real quick, I want you to circle that first word in that verse. Flee from sexual immorality. You know what the word flee means? It means run. It means don't even grab your stuff. Go. <laughs> Leave the door open behind you. Flee. It does not mean strongly consider. It does not mean call each of your friends and see what they think. It means stop whatever you're doing and go. Very strong word here. Flee from, this is really interesting, sexual immorality. Now notice the message here is not one of the myths that many of us grew up believing. It does not say flee from sex. It says flee from sexual immorality. That is the things that lead us down the paths of destruction that are hurtful and harmful to our lives. Those patterns, those places, flee from those things. Don't even go near them. Don't even mess with them. Don't think that you're strong enough to conquer them. Flee. Hmm. Run from them. Paul goes on to say, because this is why. This is very important. This is why you should run. All other sins... A person commits, that's very interesting, all other sins, strong language here, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul's saying something very interesting, he's going to sort of counteract that here in a second by saying all other sins that we commit are outside of our body. That means that there are consequences, but typically those consequences tend to affect others as well as us. Paul says not so with sexual sin. With the pain and regret that many of us walked into this room carrying tonight. He says, no, it's different because sex is such a powerful thing intertwined into your identity by God that when we sin sexually, it has a different sort of consequence. Not a greater consequence, a different consequence. And in fact, some of the first consequences and deepest consequences are internal, are the ones that we actually carry Ourselves. This is why it's more than just a physical thing. Hmm. I mean, as I've been a pastor now for many years, and I've sat with people and, 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 and met with people, and we've gotten into their story, and we've kind of gotten to that part many times. I've looked, sat across the table from someone, sat across a desk from someone, and with tear-filled eyes, they say, Pastor, I want to tell you something that I've never told anyone before in my life. Pastor, I want to tell you something about my story that I've kept hidden for years. You know, as long as I've been a pastor, no one's ever said to me at that point, my senior year in high school, I cheated on my English final. It just doesn't happen that way. What tends to happen is people say, no, there is this deep sexual sin, this deep thing that happened to me or that I did in the past, and I've tried to keep it hidden for so many years. And the consequences are different. They're deeper. They're more personal. And the longer that I carry those consequences within mm. me, the more they keep me from intimacy with God and ultimately intimacy mm. with others. There is a different kind of consequence when it comes to sexual sin. Verse 19, look what Paul goes on to say. He's like saying, he's like, don't you know? I mean, guys, he's trying to say, do you remember this? Don't you know that your bodies are so much more than just bodies? This is so much more than physically. He says, don't you know what Jeannie cited a minute ago? Your bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit. Temples of the Holy Spirit. That means that this is more than just a physical thing going on here. That God has actually created you to have within you the presence of God. That God actually dwells in you. Now, this is game-changing, like fundamental shift kind of teaching for these people, and I think for us just as much today. That this is more than just a physical thing. It's not just my body, her body, his body, that body, those bodies on the internet, the bodies in that movie. There's something more here, that our bodies are actually meant to house and hold the mm. presence of God. There's something sacred to my body. There's something special about that. In fact, Paul goes on to say, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says something very, very, very interesting. Who is what? Who is in you. Let's say that again. Who is in. in you. Circle that. Very important. Whom you've received from God. Don't you know that your bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you. 
whom you've received from God. This is why this is such game-changing sort of teaching. It's because my hunch is for many of us, at the moment of our sexual temptation, whatever yours may be and mine may be, at the moment where you feel yourself crossing a line that you really didn't want to cross, at the moment you found yourself back in that place again, back in that person's arm again, back in someone else's apartment, you don't even know where you are the next morning, at that moment, my hunch is for many of us, our perception of where God is at is that he is out there somewhere. He's out there, detached from our struggle, detached from our sexuality. And if he's out there, then he's just sort of waiting and watching like a cop around the corner to bust me for this time again. Or worse yet, if he's out there, then maybe he's just asleep at the wheel and doesn't care about what's going on down here. Paul says that's not how it works. All the power of God was poured into Jesus Christ. And then Jesus turned around to the third member of the Trinity and said, all the power of God that was poured into me is poured into you. And then the Holy Spirit said, I am going to take up residence in every follower of Jesus' life. I am going to be in you. In you, not out there, in you. That means that in you, at the moment of temptation, in you is actually the courage to stand up and say, no, God has something better for me. As 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God actually literally gives you the power when you're tempted to stand up under it so that you're not overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by it. That means that in you, if you genuinely believe as a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, that the power of God is actually in you, then it gives you the wisdom and discernment is already in you, not out there, in you to know, is this a path that's going to lead me to my best for God? It's going to give you already, you don't have to hope to earn or get God's attention to get the grace that he has so freely already offered you. It's not out there. It's in you because he is in you. It changes the way that we look at where God is at when it comes to our sexuality. And then Paul gives a little greater context. He says, listen, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than you. You are not your own. You were actually bought at a price. You were not your own. You were bought at a price. God always, already gave his best, and that's his son, Jesus, who offered his life to pay the price for my sin and your sin. And so Paul goes on to close by saying, so honor God with your bodies. Honor God. Flee from sexual immorality. Honor God with your bodies. This is what it looks like to give our very best to God in response to what he has already given to you. When you get that God has already extended his loving presence into your life, it changes the way you look at him and your sexuality. When you get that he is already right here, it gives you a new kind of courage and a different sort of perspective to walk about your life. When you get that God has already given you his very best, you want to respond with nothing less. Mm. And you know, when we started this series a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, that was really our heart's desire. That, that was our deepest desire for every single one of you, that you would get how much God has given his very best and that your relationships, your relationships with one another would reflect that that your relationships would be healthy, that they would be whole. And and that's our deepest desire for you as your pastors. And and, and we said that as we started out this series. The the other thing that we said was that we wanted to be able to, over over the last few weeks, to just share our lives and to share our story, to share our journey um, and what God has been teaching us uh, in our marriage and and even when we were dating, you know, many, many years ago. ago. Uh, But that we wanted to to be able to just let you in in a way that uh, maybe we hadn't before. And, uh, you know, as we were writing this, this last week and the week before that, and as we were planning for this talk and knowing that we were going to share about these things, um, we've been in ministry for 17 years. And uh, we've met with so many different singles and couples. We've walked with people that are married. We've walked with people that have walked through divorces. We've walked with people with marriages on the rocks. We've, we've walked with all sorts of different stories. And as we were praying and as we were uh, just saying, God, you know, is, is there a, a story? Is there a, is there a person that we've been able to walk with that really shows this, this beautiful journey so well? 
And as we continued to pray and as we continued to just see God, we, we got this sense that the Spirit of God just sort of whispered in, you know, as, as God does so lovingly sometimes and just said, why don't you share your story? We were like, oh. Oh, I, no, that's <laughs> No, that's thanks. Boring. You know, yeah. like, Lord, that, that's no way. Why, why would we want to just do that? Like, oh, that, that's really vulnerable, Lord. And yet we got that sense that, um, that maybe it might, it might be helpful. You know, when Jared and I uh, met uh, about 20 years ago, we dated for, for three years. And uh, we were engaged for a year and then obviously got married. And uh, when we were both young, we had both made commitments uh, individually. So little, little boy Jarrett and little girl Jeannie, uh, we, we had both made commitments. I think there were mentors and, mm-hmm. and leaders in our lives that had shared a, a passage with us. It's found in Hebrews 13.4, and it says this, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband, that God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. And so little girl Jeannie and little boy Jarrett both made decisions. They said, we, we want to wait until we're married, until we have sex. And both of us honored that commitment. We both honored that commitment. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Those three years that we were dating were very, very, very hard. We had made this commitment, we had made this promise to God, and we wanted to make this promise now to one another, but I mean, I was in love. I I had never felt the feelings that I had felt before, and I was like, Lord, we need to have a talk. Like, (laughs) seriously, I don't, I don't get all of this. Like this, that's, that's what I want to do, God. And, and we got to our wedding day and I'm, I'm just being really honest with you. I mean, we, we just made it. Skin of our teeth. We just made it. Skin of our teeth. Yeah. And it was so strange to me. I'm just, I'm just being really frank and really honest with you as your pastor, as your friend, just talking to you right now. It was so strange to me on that day. And we're standing in front of this church and all our friends and family are standing around and there's a pastor and he says, you know, you say I do, you say I do. Okay, great. I do. And I'm like, so now we can do it? Like, it, I don't get that. Like that <laughs> I was ready to go. Yeah. I was like, let's do this. There's just a lot of people there though. <laughs> Private space. <laughs> there's still a meal. But anyway, yeah, I was thinking about it. None of that is in this talk. None of that. So, but it, it was. It was. It was one of those things that, honestly, God created this desire. He created this desire, and all along the way, we we did. We honestly, we struggled. We struggled, and we had to have lots of conversations throughout those years of dating. And to be very honest with you, in that moment. The conversations did not stop. I think sometimes we think that, well, awesome, you're married. You must have no, no intimacy issues, right? It's all good, right? Every, everything's perfect, right? It all works well, great, awesome, great. That's so not the case. That's so not the case. Mm. And so we had to have lots of conversations along the way. I, I mean, I even remember yeah, our, yeah, our honeymoon. I, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I actually, I'd go back to the... A couple months before that, because I was thinking the same when you were saying that, that uh, a couple months before our wedding, we had a real honest talk where we had been challenged by mentors in our life to just, if there's anything that would keep us from intimacy, to bring it to the table Mm -hmm. and to name it in the spirit of confession and openness. And so we did. It was a very, you know, I was a scary kind of conversation to say, okay, we obviously know what we've done with each other in places that, but you need to hear this about my past mm. and you need to know this about my past. And I want you to know everything about me so that nothing would keep us from intimacy. But then I remember specifically, and that was really beautiful and powerful. But then we got to our honeymoon again, thinking somehow very naively that everything would magically just work. And we were, probably, we were like two or three days into our honeymoon and it was not working. It just was not, it was... Um, all the sort of waiting and expectation that we'd put on this moment, um, we sort of expected it all to just work out, and it wasn't, which is understandable. And in a moment of desperation, I had this thought of, God, could it be that there are things that I still have kept hidden from you? 
And could it be that there is some unconfessed sexual sin that is keeping us from intimacy? And I, you know, just if there is, then I want to come all the way clean. And I remember in our hotel room, in tears, getting down on my knees and just confessing, hey, I told you sort of the broad strokes of my past, but I didn't tell you the specifics. And going into very specific detail, saying, I don't want to keep anything from you that would keep us from the intimacy that God has for us. And it was very scary for me because I wasn't thinking that you were going to leave me, you know, like second day into the honeymoon. Like, um, but I was afraid that you would withhold love from me um, because I had deceived you or I had kept things from you or I had tried to hold on to control. And I remember, so we had this beautiful moment of confession and healing that really mm-hmm. began, but it didn't make everything else magically fixed. And so we said, you know what we need is we need help. I mean, we don't only need sort of hope in God and healing from the specifics of our past, but we need help. And so if you were here last week, you uh, got to see the Towners, uh, Dick and Sybil Towner, who are our premarital mentors. And we called them from our hotel room. I remember that. Uh, Long distance, which was a thing. Um, (laughs) And said, hey, here's where we're at, and here's what we've done, here's kind of what's happened, and we're a little stuck, will you help? And it was very vulnerable, but we were like, you know what, if we're going to have this, the best sex life, the best intimacy ever, then why wouldn't we do whatever it takes? Mm-hmm. Confess what we need to confess, get help where we need to get help, and put our hope fully in God that he actually has a greater desire for that yeah. than we do. Yeah, and, and, and so it's been this fun journey of discovering intimacy with one another and all that God has for us. And, and back in that moment, we realized that there were parts of our hearts and parts of our stories that needed to be healed. And the Bible is really clear about what God does with a human heart, hmm. no matter how broken it may be. The Bible says to us that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This is God's specialty. Mm. He loves healing broken hearts. God heals the brokenhearted. It is literally in his very nature to heal what is broken. He heals shame. He heals regret. He heals fear and secrecy, the torment maybe of of a bad memory or numbness. And this is yet one other way Yet another way that God gives his very, very, very best. He gives forgiveness and Mm. freedom. He gives hope. He gives wholeness. He gives Mm. restoration and redemption, Mm. peace. That's what God does. Mm. And what that's called is grace. It's grace. Grace is what God gives when I give less than my best. Mm. Grace is what God gives when I give less than my best. Grace is what God does for us. Hmm. But what's amazing about God in in all of his goodness, in all of his graciousness, he doesn't stop there. Hmm. He invites us into the journey. He invites us into the process of transformation. He invites us in to repent, to acknowledge to own our sin, perhaps to to own and acknowledge maybe a sin that was committed against you and it wasn't your fault, it wasn't something that you did, but you have carried it around and it has literally riddled your mind and and it has held your heart captive. And God says, I want to set you free. Mm. In my kingdom, there are no prisoners. Mm. I want hearts to be set free. Mm. And so God comes in and he says, as you move towards me, my grace is already there. My grace has already been there. Some of you, you just need to accept God's grace and accept his forgiveness. I know for me that I'm well aware. I am well aware of how gracious and amazing and audacious and just out of this world God's grace is. But you know who keeps me most of the time from accepting God's grace? Me. Hmm. Me. I have these levels of perfection and these levels of of how I'm supposed to live and and what it's supposed to be like. And when I don't measure up, I just say, no, you're not worth that kind of grace. Hmm. And some of you, you have been the one 
that has been holding out on truly receiving God's grace. And he just wants to lavish it on you. Mm-hmm. He wants to pour it over onto you. Mm-hmm. He spares no expense. He's audacious when it comes to his grace. He loves healing. It's what he loves to do. And, uh, you know, we have, we have two little ones. And uh, a while back we were at the park and we were playing. And, and in our family, uh, we have these all over our house. In every bathroom, there's like a stock of Band-Aids. And we've got them in every, like, awesome kind. Like SpongeBob, Disney, Dora, Spider-Man, Dora, Princess. you name it, we've got it. And uh, they're all over our house. And our kids love putting them on. It, even if they don't have anything wrong with them. They just put them on all over. And we were at the park, and Elijah had fallen, and he scraped up the top of his foot. And so we came home, and, and we, washed it. we washed it out to make sure that it wouldn't get infected. And then we've, of course, put a Band-Aid on it. And every morning, you know, he would come down, and, and we would wash it out, you know, and put a fresh new Band-Aid on it. Well, after about five days of doing that, he, he came down, and, you know, we took the Band-Aid off, and we were getting ready to wash it, and we took the Band-Aid off, and he goes, Mom, my scrape is gone. It's, it's totally gone. And literally, like only a child, like only a child can ask. He said, Mom, do you think God healed that? I was like, of course, buddy. Of course, that's what God does. He heals, he heals what's broken. He heals what's hurting. That's mm. what God does. Mm. But you played a part. Mm. Every single morning you came down and we made sure that we washed this up and we put the Band-Aid on and, and you played a part. You played a part. God did what only God can do. God is the one that heals, but you played a part. Mm. And in our sexuality and in our, in our sexual brokenness, God is who heals, but he invites us to play a part, hmm. to play a part. So the question for every single one of us, wherever you're at, single, dating, married, single again, wherever you're at, the question is, what part are you going to play when it comes to offering God your very best with your sexuality? What part are you going to play in the healing work that needs to be done? What part are you going to play in the places where you need to flee from and the places where you need to honor God? What part will you play this week? You know, if you were to think about it in those two categories, thinking specifically, practically, next steps for us, I think that it might help us to think, okay, what are the places that I need to flee from and what are the places where I can really honor God, I desire to honor God? Maybe for you, some of the places to flee from this week, are, there are relationships that you have, either that you're in or friends that you have that continue to take us, continue to take you back to places that you regret days later or minutes later. And what would it look like for you to say, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to go there today, tonight. I'm not going to go with you. I can't. I know what happens to me. And maybe for you, the relationship has just become strictly only about sex and you have become driven by sex in this relationship and you wonder if we were to stop having sex, would we have anything left? And so maybe you just need to flee from that relationship. I'm sorry, but maybe you do because it continues to lead you down a path that is stealing the life that God intended you to live Mm -hmm. from you. Maybe. Maybe for you, there's places that you continue to go that you know are not helping you honor God and give him your very best, the best that you can give. There's bars, there's clubs, there's places you go, all fine and good, but when you go there, when you go there, you know that something happens to you. Hmm. And so maybe this week, it's just best for you to not go there because of what comes from there for you. Maybe for you, there's sites that you go to on the internet and, and you know that you've tried really hard, you've tried really hard, and I'm not going to go, I'm going to go a week, I'm going to go a month, I'm going to go a year, and yet you find yourself continuing to go back to those places to a fabricated, physical version of sex. And so maybe one of the ways for you to flee is to say, I'm going to get some help, I'm going to get some help. I'm going to say the name of a website right now that maybe you don't have the courage to write down right now, and that's okay. We'll tweet it out this week so you can write this down. It's called X3 Watch. X3 Watch is created by a bunch of folks who believe the teaching of the Bible and who said we can actually maybe help people flee from these places that continue to steal and rob the life and the intimacy from their lives. 
So maybe that's something you need to do. Maybe for you, one of the practical ways that I choose to flee kind of on a daily basis is with my eyes. And guys, we tend to be more visual when it comes to our sexuality. And so one of the disciplines that I have to practice on a daily basis is that if there is something I find my eyes going to or a person or there's, you know, someone I see that, again, nothing wrong with them being attractive, but I know if I let my eyes stay fixed on them, it's going to take my mind somewhere I don't want it to go and my mind will take my soul somewhere I don't want to be. So one of the things I do is I try, my fleeing is I just will look away or I'll look over there or I'll look up. If I'm walking behind a girl up the stairs, I'll look down. She bends over to grab something, I'll just look away. And I know it may look awkward. I would rather look awkward fleeing from sin mm. than fall into it and stumble into it again. I'd rather look awkward doing that because I know my propensity. I know my struggle. And so maybe that's a way for you to practically, tangibly practice fleeing this week. And then for you to consider how you can honor God with your sexuality. Maybe the thing that you need to do tonight after our service is to come clean, to really finally, fully come clean with God. And to confess, to name, honestly, specifically, either in our prayer time afterwards or in the prayer hall, maybe you need to drag a friend in with you and say, I want you to know. Maybe it's someone you're dating or someone you're married to. You need to know the whole story. I don't want anything to keep us from the intimacy that God desires for me. Maybe if you're in a relationship or starting a relationship, one of the best things you can do to honor God with your sexuality is to say, let's declare some, some kind of parameters in our relationship, some boundaries, some lines, like up front, not after we cross and go, whoa, that was too far. But let's say up front, we're not going to do this. And we're going to put a litter of, like a stake in the ground and say, we may be different from everyone else around us. The world may laugh at us, but we want to honor God with our sexuality. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're in a relationship where you found some of those lines a little too late. It is not too late for mm-hmm. you. As Jeannie said, there is no exemption on redemption. That you can actually today say, okay, God, forgive us. God, help us. Here's the line. Here's the part that we're going to do. Maybe if you're married, one of the ways that you can honor God is by honoring your spouse and pursuing them sexually. I think lots of folks, the longer they're married, move from pursuing to assuming. Instead of pursuing you, I'm just going to assume we're good, right? We're connected, we're good. I'm assuming that we'll, 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 we'll connect later, we'll make it happen later. And one of the greatest things for those of you who are married to do is to pursue your spouse tonight, like to literally go home tonight and pursue them intimately. And if they say to you, you're only doing this because you heard it at church, you just look back and say, that's right, baby. <laughs> I mean, whatever you go, I don't know how you would say it, but I'm just trying to, trying to help. I want to get practical. Things that work for us. No. I do, it's not true. It's not true. So, what would it look like for those of you who are married? I bet you'll remember that one tonight. What are those of you who are married? How can you actually honor God, by honoring your spouse and saying, you are above all other people in this world to me. Mm. And I'll let, not let my eyes be distracted to others, not let my thoughts go to others. I'm going to let my sexuality that God gave me drive me to you and to pursue tonight. And so we thought what might help, I know what helps me is to sort of get a push in that direction, have a moment together that leads to movement in our life. And so for the last couple of weeks, we have... Uh, said vows out loud together as a church. And I'm going to ask you to grab this card, which is in your seat back. And if this is your heart, your intention, to offer God your very best in light of him giving already, always his very best to you, to honor God with your sexuality, no matter what your past, no matter what your story, to start today to say, God, I want to honor you. Then if I, after I read these, if this is your heart and you agree to this, and you long to make this true in your life this week, then you say, I do, okay? This is your heart, your declaration. Then you say after each of these, I do. And then I want you to keep this and put it somewhere this week that you need to see it and be reminded of it. Maybe circle one or two that you go, God, this week, I long to see at least one week in my life where this is actually lived Mm -hmm. out and is true. So, do you vow to pursue purity at all costs in your life? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you vow to set standards for your sexuality and actually 
keep them? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you vow to see others as children of God and not just objects of desire? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you vow to shorten the gap between your sin and your confession? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you vow to get help when you need it? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you vow to be honest with God about your past? Dependent, a God, dependent on God for your present and hopeful in God about your future? If so, say, I do. I do. To help us kind of seal this and be reminded tangibly of the lengths to which God has gone to extend his love to us, the lengths to which God has gone to offer his very best to us, we're going to respond to God through celebrating communion. This is a tradition that Jesus himself instituted because he knew our tendency to forget to forget first things first. And so we're going to have a moment here where we come and consider the price, the high cost that Paul talked about that was paid for my sin and for yours. Mm. That there is actual a real cost. That there are actual consequences. That someone had to pay the bill of my sin and yours. And that it was Jesus Christ himself sent by God who lived among us, fully God, fully human, and who humbled himself to take the lowest position in this world, Mm. ultimately to take on our sin on a cross Mm. and be raised by God from the dead to once and for all seal the deal for your redemption and mine, for the possibility of transformation in your life, for the hope of being able to offer God your very best in light of his very best, which has already been offered to you. So we're going to come to the front here over the next couple moments and take the elements that he used, bread, which represents his body, you tear off a piece and you dip it in the cup, which represents his, butt, his blood, his body and his blood, which was broken for you and shed for you for the forgiveness, the complete forgiveness of your sins, for the healing that you so desperately need, for the hope that we long for. And as you come to the table, I would ask you to come as you are. Come as you are, scars and all, fears and failures and all hopes and dreams and all. God, I'm coming to you as I am and receive the gift of the presence of God in you Mm. through Jesus in this moment. So let me pray for us and then we'll receive communion together. We have, as always, up here to the left, there'll be gluten-free bread if you need that. So take advantage of that if you need that. But let me pray for us right now. God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us through Jesus. Thank you that you didn't just stop by doing it for us and through Jesus, you actually then have moved in us, taken up residence in our lives. And so we thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who actually made this possible. You are the one who has done it for us. And so remind us of that even now, your body and your blood that you held nothing back from us. And so we want to hold nothing back from you. You didn't hesitate to give us your very best. And so we don't want to hesitate in this moment. And for all the places, God, that we continue to fall and fail, for the places, God, that we continue to miss the mark, we thank you for grace, which fills in, which covers over, which redefines, God, what we simply cannot do on our own. Thank you, God, for grace made known through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we receive these elements and move forward in our time of worship. Amen.